Welcome to Dancing On Air. I'm here this week with beautiful Porcelain. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, Porcelain works in the burlesque world and we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so I've, I've been a burlesque performer for the last six or seven years, uh, recently bringing my practice to the mountains when I moved up here a few years ago, and I do teach workshops that are in a body-positive framework for women in the mountains, so they learn a bit of the artistry and the history of burlesque, but they're mostly focused on just self-love and empowerment and sisterhood and finding a safe space for women where they can be themselves and they're accepted in all their forms. How did you get into it? The, the so, uh, basically... I was in a time in my life where I'd felt not very in control of my life and I went to a burlesque show and I saw a performer on stage and the whole time I was just thinking, I just want to be her, I want to do that. She seems so powerful, like the whole audience is just hanging off every move and I ended up looking up how to do classes with her and learnt from her and it just kind of went from there. So you hadn't done any dance before? I'd done dance before, I've danced since I was about three or four years old but in that you know theatrical jazz ballet tap Tap. kind of framework I love tap dancing but I always hadn't really enjoyed the ballet side I'd love the technique and love learning but the kind of culture that went with it and the way you're supposed to look and pretty not body positive yeah and for someone who was not born you know just having to be six foot tall and and quite naturally isn't quite thin it's very hard to try and fit a framework where your body's never going to fit that framework and and ballet i I mean there's so rarely anybody that fits that i mean by the end of the process of training there's so few people that fit that that oh yeah definitely it's what it's it's a catch-22 where the more you train and build your skills, the more you build your muscle, mm. and the more you don't fit the mould of what they're looking for. Mm. So you can spend your whole life dedicating it to ballet and then really not have any opportunity there, and that's really sad. It I is think. sad. Yeah. And burlesque obviously offers... Oh, yeah, definitely the opposite. Burlesque is about celebrating the feminine form in all its forms. So, you know, you're completely welcome there. And you go to different shows and see a variety of different acts. And the thing is, it's always really inclusive. Mm. There's always people from the LGTBIQ community. And there's always, you know, people from different cultural backgrounds, uh, different genders. It's it's really open burlesque. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really great. Is it, is it that, do you think, that attracts people to it? I'd say it's about 50-50 at first. There's people who come to it thinking it's going to be like a Vegas showgirl class or like the movie Burlesque with Christina Aguilera. But I think the reason they stay is that side of it. So half people kind of know who it is, what it is, sorry, not who it is, and they're coming thinking it's going to be this really empowering space because they've been to shows before. But there are people who've kind of seen that American model of burlesque where it's closer to a showgirl performance and everyone kind of looks the same. Mm. But I don't think, you know, that level of non-inclusivity is why they're coming. They're coming because of the glitz and the glamour. Yeah, the Hollywoodized version of what it is. Yeah, and they still get that there. And I think that they're happily shocked when it's so inclusive and so open. And I think Mm. there's never had someone come go, I wish this wasn't an inclusive space. You know, that's that's not how we work as humans. (laughs) (laughs) Be a bit strange. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you've got a show coming up in January. Yes, we do. So uh, we've got the Wild Warrior Women Festival. That's a three-day festival. It's not just burlesque. It was formerly the Blue Mountains Annual Burlesque Festival, but we found it to be just such a positive and empowering space that we've kind of widened that open. Mm. And we've got 
some amazing burlesque performers coming. We're very excited to have Imogen Kelly this year, who is the biggest burlesque performer in Australia. She's won the title of Queen of Burlesque um, in America at the Viva Las Vegas Burlesque wow. title uh, pageant. And she's just a really empowering force and does a lot of breast cancer advocacy work and a lot of advocacy work for performers and artists in general around pay rates and um, standards of employment. She's working on a code of conduct right now for burlesque performers across Australia. Oh, that's Australia amazing. And trying to get, you know, just rules set in place for minimum payments and making sure people, and especially those new to the industry, are being treated fairly, which yeah. is really great. And it's great that we have someone like her in our corner. Yeah, and it's such an issue within the arts as well. Yeah, I think it's especially in Australia too. And... You know, I think we need to take some of the responsibility for that too as performers because all too often we're just really excited to have that opportunity to mm. perform on a stage and that might be fine for us at that point in time but we've got to think about what we're doing to the industry. And to the community yeah. around us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And other performers are not going to get paid if that's the expectation. And it sets a precedent for the next generation coming up as well. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about the, the ideas around um, appropriation and, and cultural appropriation or misappropriation, I'm not sure. Yeah. And you say that within burlesque right now, this is quite a hot topic. How so? Yeah, so it's not just in Australia, actually. Internationally, it's become a topic that has really come to the forefront, which I think is really good that people are having those discussions because uh, in all styles of performance, uh, you know, even looking at children's dance schools and things, you do go through your life seeing some performances where you think, is that really respecting the culture? You know, myself um, as a white woman wouldn't be in a position to decide about a lot of those performances. So it's really important and good that burlesque is engaging lots of people of colour and involving them in conversations and empowering them to discuss what is offensive and what isn't offensive and what's appropriate. And I think a really good rule of thumb is if you're not sure if you're going to offend someone, don't do it. Okay, you, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Because when you say, yeah. and it doesn't have to be a real example. Oh, I can give you a, a real example, not from a performance, but an example that has happened in the burlesque world, which yeah. shouldn't, and that's blackface. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's you know, obviously a very obvious example that you would think in this day and age, but it's, it's become apparent that you know, in different cultures, different areas, and because it's such a... Uh, international community there's people coming from different countries performing different places all the time it's recently been something that did happen in a show in Australia and the organizers were really great at handling it and you know working out how to apologize and what to do in that space and time but it's something that obviously shouldn't be happening and is opening a lot of eyes to the education that needs to happen Mm. Uh, there is a lot of talk too about you know white performers getting out there and judging what is and what isn't cultural appropriation and trying to educate people and are they the right people that should be doing that right and that's that's where it is becoming a lot more complicated because people who are wanting to act as allies and helping i think can sometimes do damage as well by deciding themselves what's what's right right and wrong in regards to a culture that's not their own but it is very hard too because you don't want to just leave uh, it's to people who are finding things offensive and having to deal with that perhaps on social media at shows to have to stand up for themselves. Mm. So I think, you know, the best way you can find out how to be a good ally is to talk to people and ask them what's the best way you can do that yeah, rather yeah. than just try and decide it yourself. Yeah. And it can be, you know, nobody's perfect, but, you know, if we just all work towards trying to be kind, trying to be considerate 
And if we're unsure asking, I think that's a really good way to move forward. Mm. So, so, so something like blackface, what else, would, what else might be like... Um, so there was an Australian performer who has since retired an act which was like a Mexican theme act oh. where she had a sombrero. Um, I've, I've not seen it personally, but I just do know that a couple of acts like this come up and people do take offence. And a lot of the time it can be um, in cultures where there's not a high number of those people, those minority groups in Australia. That's so right. people may not think about who they're directly offending mm. and you know it is good the community is really good at letting people know possibly reconsider that but I think there is a danger in crucifying people on social media um, and I think that happens a lot mm. not just in performance um, no that's right opinions in modern times I think it's it's about finding the right way to do it yeah, yeah so that you know obviously of course you have to first think about the people who are being offended but some people take that to mean you disregard the feelings of other people as well and I think it's about being kind to everyone so if you're approaching someone saying you think they've done the wrong thing there is a right and a wrong mm. way to do that I think mm. it's, it's, it's a very it's hard an interesting dilemma issue yeah. and it's, it's something that is really at the forefront of the burlesque industry in Australia and internationally at the moment and I think as long as there's conversations about it we're headed in the right direction yeah burlesque has I think for a lot of people that don't know what it's about a particular connotation. There's a politicism around it, yeah. certainly for around women. Um, I want you to t- rather than me dance explain yep. <laughs> <laughs> what it what it is because I don't know enough about it. Yep. But maybe you can sort of talk about what that political take is, and then how I suppose as artists you then combat that or, or defend that or yeah. argue that, I don't know. Like Yeah, see, look, it, it can be difficult because burlesque can mean different things to different people. Um, at its core, it's inherently political because it's a very feminist art form. Uh, it does come from vintage striptease and there can be debates in the community from people who are really trying to distance themselves from that, which in my mind is not right. That's the history of your art form, you know, that's the women that have pioneered the art form under worse conditions before you, you know, um, then they've received a lot more flack. I'm not saying people don't receive flack today. So I think the, the best um, quote is they interviewed Dita Von Tees, obviously one of the iconic burlesque performers, and someone who said to her, well, what do you think about people that say what you do is stripping? And she said, it is. It's striptease. And I think the interviewer was a bit shocked. But I think it's kind of that connotation that people believe that you can't be proud to be doing a form of striptease on stage. And that's where the politics of it lies it is women taking back you know the stigma of that and taking back the power over their bodies and saying this is my body I'll celebrate it however I want and I think that's really beautiful yeah wow yeah Yeah, so we're talking about cultural appropriation and and it's interesting because as you were talking about that earlier um before the song I was thinking about indigenous cultures as well I'm not indigenous I can't speak on their behalf but you were also saying that in Australia, there, there doesn't seem... It's like we seem to talk for Indigenous yeah, people and, and it's not right. That's what I'm really wary of having this conversation now around um, cultural appropriation in burlesque. Obviously, you know, as a white woman, it is... I'm not an authority at all on any element of the subject. I can only speak from my experience um, and the experience of friends and those around me. And I think that is the most important thing in any discussions when talking about um, people from different backgrounds is to have them involved, yeah. to have them run the discussions, to have 
you know, it would be fine to have just them having the discussion. Totally. We do not need to as white people need to be included. And that's something I think we struggle with in Australia and we don't... We, we, we think that we need to have the dominant perspective and view and we need to run the To run it, yeah. yeah, and yeah. But I think we need to be present. Oh, yes, we need to be present, definitely, yeah. Sorry, I might have misspoke earlier. I just think that we don't need to be present in the way that we're running the conversation. No. We're in charge of the conversation. That seems to be what happens in all of the discussions in our country. Yeah, and in, and in burlesque, obviously, it's the same. It's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, and look, it, it can be very hard. I do get students contact me in burlesque and... Um, feel a bit uncomfortable and, and, you know, need to check, feel the need to check because they don't need to check, obviously, um, if burlesque is open to people from all different backgrounds. Really? That that makes me quite sad because, you know, we're very clear that it's open to any women or anyone who's non-binary and we try and really market it as an inclusive space. But I feel that's I'm still doing something wrong if there's people that are not sure if they're welcome. Why would they not be sure? Look, maybe because predominantly in Australia, the burlesque performers you see are white. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, historically, a lot of the performers throughout history are, and there are some beautiful, wonderful performers of colour as well, but maybe we're not celebrating them in Australia. I'm not sure. All I know is that that is a question that has been asked before, Mm. and I've I've felt terrible that it's not, I'm not making it that obvious that everyone is welcome. Yeah. When you, you've got a school here in the Blue Mountains, and when you're when you're, I guess, promoting your classes, how, how, how would I, what am I trying to ask you? If somebody was, say, I'm, I'm going to purely hypothetically, um, yeah. you know, from a, an Asian culture or a Muslim culture or, a, a, you know, a culture where there may be a whole different kind of perspective on how women yeah. work, how would you, I mean, have you had that kind of, Yes, inquiry yeah, before no, I, and and I and, have. and what what's what sort of so essentially what discussed. I do is just uh, let people know exactly what our classes are about that first and foremost they're a place for um, women to work on self-love empowerment um, body positivity and that there are optional performances obviously as burlesque historically comes from uh, art of striptease there are sometimes options, you know, for different clothing levels, but all of our costumes are completely up to the performers and they can decide what they want to wear, what they don't want to wear. They can decide what parts of the performances they want to engage in. And we, I feel that we provide a safe enough and inclusive space that people do. They'll say, oh, I don't really feel comfortable doing this move. Oh, that's class, great. And say, that's fine. We can change it for you. I'll say, does anyone else feel like that? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. If we're not comfortable with that, we don't need to do that. And we really get the students involved as well in deciding... Um, you know, music and different themes and ideas for the terms because it's their class and they should be feeling comfortable and feeling empowered. Mm, That's fantastic. It's obviously hard to always please everybody, but if there's someone that really has a problem with something... Yeah, you're not going to force it on them. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a a sort of a a balance, isn't there, in teaching? Um, so, so you've got the the festival coming up in January. What else is coming up? Like, what's coming up for 2019? Uh, so in 2019, we'll be, of course, running more Stone Cold Fox Burlesque classes, and we do that in Emu Plains, Springwood and Katoomba. Okay. We run some workshops as well in Bathurst and Newcastle and a few different areas, wherever there's people that want us to come, really. So someone wants us to run a workshop there, we're more than happy to. Uh, I think basically part of what I try to do in performing and in teaching is just to expose burlesque to as many people as possible. Uh, I find, you know, burlesque changed my life. 
it's not going to change everybody's life. Some people might just think it's a fun activity to come and do, but it does help a lot of women. And even finding yourself in a space where you can be that free and you're being told to celebrate your body, not buy this to fix your body, buy that to fix your yeah. body. It can be a really empowering and beautiful space to be yeah, in. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, I think that's an amazing interview and amazing to hear, you know, about the world that you, the, that you work within. And um, I don't know, is there anything else you want to share with us about maybe shows, other shows coming up or anything else that you... Uh, yeah, well, so from next year, we have booked in the shows. I'm trying to rack my head for where they are and when they are. I know that we do have on the 30th of March a show in Lawson, which will okay. be our first student show for the year. Oh. So uh, if they want to come along and see these amazing women, uh, they can look up that show as well. What's the name of your school again? Stone Cold Fox Burlesque. Stone Cold Fox Burlesque. Don't forget that. <laughs> Write that down now. Okay, well, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me. A pleasure. And, and have a beautiful Christmas. Yes, you too. And um, see you in 2019. See you then. Hi, I'm Anna Louise Paul. You're listening to Dancing on Air, and I have beautiful Paloma Negra with me today. Um, Paloma is also known as Marissa Yo. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on Dancing on Air. So, um, tell us a little bit about your practice. It's a really broad um, practice. Mm. Uh, I'll let you speak. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I. Contemporary dance is my major my major love, so um, working with contemporary dance. My background is also flamenco. My mother was a flamenco dancer, so I've got a strong heritage in that. And then my other practices are martial arts, aerials, so static trapeze, and finally um, working with fetish combinations. Wow, well. hmm. wow. And fetish is relatively new to your practice, you, you were telling me. Fetish is partially new to my practice but not new to me so I've been working doing fetish fashion shows for quite a long time for at least since pre-2000 so choreographing those and then started to get serious about doing fetish performance back in oh, about, about five years ago okay. yeah 2015. What drew you to to fetish either the fashion shows or doing it yourself like both what, what was I the think kind of... well the fashion shows I was a goth originally so <laughs> back pre-2000 I was a, a, a you a still goth, have that black a goth hair babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um obviously there's a little bit of a crossover that happens there with um fetish and goth and so I, I met uh, a few people. The first person I actually met um, was Garth Knight, who is an amazing rope artist, shibari artist. And I did a photo shoot with him back in, oh, 2001, I think. So, and then before then, fashion shows. So, um, in fast forwarding to 2016 or 15, I had already been doing aerials for quite a few years, static trapeze, and I walked into a space and he was a lovely friend of mine who's an amazing lira, so that's the aerial hoop, and she's a contortionist being tied up by this other woman and doing experimental movements. Wow. And my friend instantly said, oh, you two have to meet and work together. And um, I'm carrying my beautiful red rope trapeze and this person whose name is Mistress Tokyo she was tying up my friend with red rope and we just looked at each other and went 
so when do we start playing and working together and creating <laughs> straight away? And within a month um, after that, um, or six weeks after that, we were in Melbourne performing really? together. So, yeah. Wow. So it was straight away we just went yes let's work together destiny destiny so, so you and mistress tokyo have basically been working together for about five years okay. or may, maybe a little bit less but um yes so, so what's the work that you do together with mistress tokyo um initially it's combining my trapeze work and my aerial work and her shibari work so the practice of rope shibari is the art of tying someone up so um, she's a professional dominatrix so in her professional business she ties people up as part of her practice our particular interest is not tying someone up and being completely static but tying up enough so there's a little bit of constriction but then being able to work through the ropes So our first experimental piece was her tying me up to my trapeze with, say, an ankle and a chest harness and then being able to suspend myself just underneath the trapeze, between the trapeze and the floor. So the the trapeze is sitting very low and seeing what movement we can play with that and then moving through positions that are reminiscent of traditional shibari actual postures or places okay. that you're tied into. So working through those lines. So as you're moving, is she tying you and untying you or yes. are you untying yourself? Or Sometimes she's tying me and then untying me and other times she will tie me and then I'll tie myself further into the rope okay by wrapping myself up wow and then there are other works where we have a very large trapeze with lugs along the bottom little links and that goes up seven eight meters up in the air on a chain motor and we're both sitting underneath it and we're tying each other's ankles and creating positions wow and that piece is called sado which is the original word for japanese tea ceremony oh but it's also a good crossover because sado as in sado masochist as well so (laughs) it plays on the words right so how much of how much of that notion of masochism or sadomasochism is actually in the work that you do or is that just a coincidence that the words are similar? I think it is. I think that and the idea of fetishes but we're trying not to be explicitly sexual that the main media would see something like this as being. We're trying to take the essence of it, the essence of the sensuality, the essence of the fetish and then creating it into an art form. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. With respect to your, you know, before you met Mistress Toku, you also had experimented on your own. And through that period and with her, has there been anything kind of within the the art scene that's where you've had to face challenge or, um, you know, like discrimination or something like that? Because I can imagine there would be a lot of, not a lot, but, you know, they can imagine there would be, you know, a few raised eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Definitely. And then and when people come and see it, they're like, oh, it's not what I thought it was going to be at all. I think they, they think it's going to be like watching some kind of porn thing or something, and it's not. Um, yeah, there's definitely been... I would say discrimination, people not even wanting to come and see because they're guessing what it's going to be. Um, for example, my um, solo show that I did quite a few years ago, um, I didn't use the idea of fetish, but I did take, um, I got Garth Knight to build one of his beautiful rope trees that he usually ties someone up into the, these amazing rope trees with rocks hanging off the bottom. Mm. So he usually ties someone in into them. What I asked him to do is build it as a stage prop that I could actually climb in and out of and weave my body through it. Oh, how beautiful. And because... A tree house. It was like a tree house. (laughs) But it represented many things. It also represented um, my family tree. It also represented the womb and birth. It represented a lot of things. Wow. But I think a lot of people were like, Oh, um, I, I didn't come because it was it was pure fetish. It's like, no, the idea of rope work is actually, it's an art form. So it originally comes from art, and so basically, yeah, a lot of people just rather than coming and seeing, going, no, I've taken this and I put it into a theatrical context. And even Garth Knight's works are, they're they're artworks. Mm. It's not. It's not. Um, What's what his practice again? Just the the actual art form oh, of tying. 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 Yeah. So um, he makes these amazing. What he's best known for it is he makes these amazing rope trees, and he ties people into these rope trees. Right. And they hang in space in the air. They hang obviously off off the ceiling on rigging, but they hang. So um, they're quite amazing. So I decided to take that idea of trying to use it almost like an aerial piece of apparatus and tell a storyline around it right so, so wow that's so beautiful and and i guess yeah people's preconceptions with it's like oh shibari as soon as you say that word it's like this idea of sexual connotation yeah, yeah. it's yeah. some sort of pornographic yeah display. exactly can you talk a bit about the stories that you you might tell or, or a particular work that that yeah sure i mean some or of, some, maybe something you're working on something i'm working on look we've just We've just done, it's a little bit more of a commercial piece. We did a piece called um, Swallow. This is Mistress Tokyo and I. It's a 14-minute piece. It's not very not very long. It can be re- represented in a, it can be presented in a high art context and it could be presented where we're going to probably, hopefully, present it soon at Sexpo, of okay. all places. But we're combining the idea of... Um, it's almost like two bowerbirds and we've got a tub of water below us and the water, so there's waterboarding, the play of actually holding someone's head underneath the water. Wow. And the trapeze sits just above that. So we're like two birds perched, putting our heads into the water and out mm. of the water. And her background is also, um, was going to Whopper and being a costume designer. Yeah. So we've got that beautiful interplay there as well. We've got some amazing costumes. But we we think of these visual images yeah. and we do it and it's a more sense of power play and that power play might swap. So people often think that with using something in the idea of fetish that one person is dominant and the other person is sub. 
and it's not necessarily so we power play we take that power play and we let people read into it but we create an image in our head mm. and then we present it on stage mm. and we see where that takes us and what what kind of response does that get from the audience do that are they um complicit in that power do they do they ever have a sense of power or disempowerment or, or yeah or, look it's so <laughs> like what's their agency as audience in that it is interesting and i, I think it depends on what their education on the subject matter is so for example i had someone i did a, a piece last year um with um garth knight and another amazing fetish performer called queen of flesh and he made one of his rope trees but then he suspended us and suspended me so just my toes were touching the floor and the whole performance piece was the journey of being tied up and suspended and then untied but I was able to create movement I had a friend come along and she was like wow I'm really shocked that really upset me oh so she was coming from a me too kind of movement idea and I had to explain to her that nothing that is done with the performances is not done without consent consent comes above everything so there is consent and I am happy to be tied up and right. happy to work this way. But, you know, it, it can be very confronting for people. And other people I've had come up and go, wow, that was so beautiful. I never thought that something within the fetish domain, I always thought it was going to be really disempowering or um, just too... too sexy or slutty or whatever you want to say those words and they're like it was really beautiful yeah and it was very calming and it wow. was very powerful wow mm. that's amazing mm. I mean that that's just so interesting the idea of consent especially you know in this time where where you know the the idea of self-determination is so is discussed so much whether it's you know female mm. you know feminism or um, you know, people of colour or indigenous people or every you know, artists having having self determination yeah. and being able to, you know, decide for themselves what is appropriate and inappropriate in terms of their own cultural practice. So for you, um, can you just talk a bit about the consent and what it means in your in that world of fetish and like that you said that's fundamental. Yeah, absolutely. If there has to be an agreement before you start a project on what is okay and what is not okay and what you agree to do. And without being pushed, without being feeling like you're being forced or... For example, um, when we were setting up the show for Swallow and we started experimenting with the idea of waterboarding and water play, uh, Mistress Tokyo is like, is there any particular way you do not want me to hold you in the water? Mm. Yes, I don't want you to hold me on the top of my head. I feel like that is just, I hate people touching the top of my head. I don't know why, I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, you know, and there's a certain time out or, a, you know, that's enough, red light, that's enough. Yep. I don't want this anymore. Yep. I don't feel comfortable in this space. Yep. And I think, when I'm creating a work that is really important on the people I create the work with and do I trust them yeah that is incredibly important so she could tie me up and there's only a piece of eight millimeter rope holding me six meters off the ground 
and my hip harness. So I have to have a certain amount of trust. Now, if I don't consent to her doing that to me, then that is not going to happen. Yeah. That is definitely not going to happen. Yeah. So it's really important to have those boundaries laid down beforehand. Yep. And understand that we're also not going into a sense of being a martyr. So, yes, I'll do this yep. for my art, but it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That is not okay. So if people want to know about consent, I'd highly recommend the work of Betty Martin and The Wheel of Consent. Mm. And actually, Mistress Tokyo introduced me to the... I did a workshop at her place about it. And it actually just changed my life completely because it, the way in which I approach work now with consent, you know, no, it's not okay um, for me to do this for free for you. That is not my yeah. consent. Oh. And things like that. So you can bring it across to your business life, you can bring it into your personal life, yeah. and you can also then bring it into your sexual life as well. So it's very, it's, it's fantastic. Powerful. Betty Martin, very Bet- powerful. Betty Martin. So, so my, my final and burning question is, <laughs> is really about you and mm. what is it that, what is your fetish? Like, what is your thing that, that um, is that the right question? Yeah, yeah, it's like, a great question. It's a big can of worms. Like, what is it that, yeah, pushes you to that? that? I think for me, my fetish is the stage and performance is my mistress. Oh. So <laughs> it's the thing that... It's that, and I'm going to go That's quickly. That's a title of a book. I know. There's a very quick word. And it's a Portuguese word, and it's called fetico. And fetico is not just the Portuguese translation of the word fetish, but it also means spellbounding, entrance, magical, okay. deity. And I think, for me, the stage means many of those things. Yeah, so I think that... I think it happens for a lot of performers that in reality... <laughs> we love the, the applause. You <laughs> love the applause and it, and it becomes magical and you're trying to find that magical and, and that ritual that you do before you get on stage. So you find that magical moment that becomes like a fetish that you want more and more of it. I see... I've got many friends that are aerialists and pole dancers and you see them train and they and then that's the pain that they go through and they almost find that... They find that really rewarding. Yeah. So, you know, oh, look at my, my bruise I have from pole dancing and they're so proud of it. <laughs> or aerialists, look at this rope burn here. And you just go, there is no difference from that to someone who is... A fetish performer right because that's the attraction right. wow I I overcame that that is so powerful yeah yeah right. so I guess my that next threshold that threshold the threshold yeah. oh that is so important that moment when someone just goes beyond their body and goes into a shamatic experience wow that yeah. that is my fetish and that's that the fetical that's the fetical <laughs> and that i hope in the future will be a show that i want to put together with a series of really amazing fetish artists so and i'm hoping to incorporate a friend of mine who's an amazing flesh hook suspension artist wow and things like that and show people how amazing it can be and take it into that high art genre yes yeah wow Mm. 
That's just absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, you. I'm completely, my brain has opened up. <laughs> <laughs> I had no no idea, so I just mm. why I wanted to interview you. Mm. Um, thank you. Well, if we can leave it there, that'd be yes. that's fantastic. And um, how's COVID treating you? Oh yes, I think we lost our tour to go overseas, uh, but that's okay. It'll it'll happen again. It'll happen, and yeah. um, we will ride the ropes again. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay.